Hey, what you're about to listen to is the podcast version of what was a live radio segment on KPFA. Consequently, when you hear us give out a call-in number, you don't want to call it. If you're listening to this as a podcast, it is already too late, and nobody on the other end of that phone number is going to have any useful answers for you. All right, let's go to this week's Corona Calls. We're going to turn, as we do most weeks at this time, to new developments in the world of COVID-19 and other mysterious things that get into your lungs and make your life difficult. We're joined by Dr. John Swartzberg, Clinical Professor Emeritus of Infectious Diseases at UC Berkeley School of Public Health. Good morning, Dr. Swartzberg. Good morning. Um, I wanted to start with with news that hit my radar only recently. Uh, apparently, for some time, China ha- or Chinese media have been reporting a surge in pediatric hospitalizations associated with respiratory illness. Um, China has described this as a result of a, a higher than normal level of rates of, you know, already known things like SARS-CoV-2 and, and pneumonia. And on Wednesday, this got buried in the holiday. The World Health Organization finally came around to to formally requesting information from China on what's going on uh, after reports of of long lines out some Chinese pediatric hospitals. Um, what what has the discussion been like in in the public health circles that you're a part of? Sure, um, the WHO, um, as you as you noted, did contact China. It appears to be on Wednesday. Maybe it was as early as Tuesday. Um, and asking for more information. And since then, there has been more information coming in. It's unclear how much information and exactly what that information is. But what we know as of this morning is that there is an increase in the number of respiratory infections, primarily in children, and it's stressing the healthcare system in China. What we also have some information about is that there's no one organism that's been found. Now, most of the data, again, is very preliminary, and so we're not certain about this, but it looks like there are a variety of respiratory pathogens, respiratory viruses, and bacteria that appear to be causing this increased number of um, respiratory infections, some of which lead to pneumonia and hospitalization, specifically in children. the thinking currently uh, is that this represents a, quote, immunity gap. And what I mean by that is that, as I think most of your listeners know, it wasn't until 11 months ago that China opened the doors and let people just let the virus rip, that is, COVID rip. And for the preceding years, of the pandemic, China had locked down, and there were very few respiratory exposures during that period of time, not just to COVID, but to all the usual pathogens like RSV and influenza and mycoplasma, and there's a whole long list. And so the population has really not had a lot of exposure to these other pathogens since the pandemic began. It's only been in the last roughly 11 months that they have And so here we are in respiratory season again, and we've got an enormous population in China that really doesn't have a lot of immunity to these, quote, typical pathogens that we see. And we think that that's what's leading to 
what we call the immunity gap. That is, there's a gap in the immune response that people have to these respiratory pathogens, and that gap is making it more likely that we're going to see a lot of these infections right now. You know, Brian, we saw something very similar last year with RSV and influenza. I think many of the listeners will remember that we had a big surge in influenza uh, at the end of October and in November, and we had an even bigger surge in RSV roughly at that same time, and people were talking about this phrase, a triple-demic, not a great phase, but that's what picked up in the news. And why did it occur so early? We think it was that immunity gap that I was talking about that we saw with China in primarily children. One of the things that supports this thinking is that we're not seeing, at least apparently we're not seeing, a lot of hospitalizations, respiratory illnesses in younger adults and older adults in China. It primarily is in children, and that would be consistent with this hypothesis of the immunity gap. So that's where we are right now, but I want to emphasize that the amount of data we have is very slim at this point. Just to, to play out the hypothesis so that our listeners don't get the wrong takeaway, the theory here isn't that people are worse off for not having been exposed to diseases in years past. Uh, It's that you're seeing more disease at once because the population as a whole wasn't developing an immune response to those diseases. Uh, In in other words, you're you're seeing a couple years worth of infections at once under reopening conditions. Perfectly put. That's exactly right. You know, as as I've been reading this data, it prompted me to think how grateful I am that I've, I'm now immunized against influenza, COVID, and RSV. Um, that makes up for that immunity gap that I would have had by not being exposed. All right. Um, we should open our phone lines to questions from our listeners. If you've got a question about COVID or associated respiratory illnesses we worry about this time of year. The phone number is 1-800-958-9008. Our guest is Dr. John Swartzberg, Clinical Professor Emeritus of Infectious Diseases at UC Berkeley School of Public Health. Again, 1-800-958-9008 for your corona calls. Uh, We'll start with one from the inbox. While the phone lines are filling up, this came in anonymously last night. Uh, the person wrote in, wrote in to say, my family and I just got COVID for the first time. I believe we can expect to have immunity for some time. I am reading between 30 and 90 days. We have been cautious. We use masks. We dine outdoors, etc. Do you think we can relax for a bit? How much and for how long? Well, I can speak only in generalities. And Uh, the person who wrote that is correct, that you get really good immunity, very good protection against even getting infected again for a month, two months, maybe three months. Um, After that, that immunity to even even getting infected really drifts off pretty quickly, and so we can get reinfected. But it's also important to remember that the immunity that protects us against serious infection really being laid out, going to the ER, being hospitalized and dying, that immunity lasts much longer than one to three months. 
and it takes us out to many months. We're not sure exactly how long. So the protection lasts against what we're really worried about, but it doesn't last against getting a mild to moderate infection. So in terms of the question the the listener has, um, they will have very good protection over the next month to three months against even getting infected, especially in the next month, taking them through the holiday series, much of the holiday season. Should they relax? Well, there's no guarantee, and the reason why I began this discussion by saying I can only talk in generalities, everything in biology and so much in life is a bell-shaped curve, and I don't know where they are on that bell-shaped curve, whether they're going to have really good immunity and there's no way they're going to get infected, or whether they'll be having less robust immune response and could get it right again because we know people who get COVID within a, a month of having had COVID. So I would still take precautions, but I would feel reassured that just like if I'd recently gotten vaccinated, I would have very good protection over the holiday season. I will just chime in to point out that COVID is not the only thing you can catch. <laughs> it is also a bad time of year for getting influenza and RSV uh, and more pedestrian coronaviruses that, that cause things like the common cold. That might not want to be how you spend your time around the holidays, uh, particularly if you've just gotten over a bout of COVID. A lot of the precautions that protect you from one protect you from the others. Uh, and if they're not very onerous, you might want to just keep up the habit. You're absolutely right. If you're lying in bed with 103 fever and coughing and just miserable, you really don't care what the pathogen is. You just wish you didn't get it. <laughs> All right, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, we can start here in Berkeley where Jane is on the line. Good morning, Jane. Hi, good morning. Um, I've had all my shots, um, including the newest one. And each time I get one, I get really, really strong reaction, like I'm knocked down in bed for about two days. And I'm wondering if that means my immunity is stronger, is good. I wouldn't ask if anybody knows what it means. That's a great question, Jane. And actually, it has been studied, not as much as I would like, but we do have some studies. Um, there was one study that suggested it didn't mean anything. People who didn't get any reaction got just as good an immune response as people who got a reaction like yours. There was another study. It was not quite as robust, but it suggested that if you got really a good reaction, not good, a reaction like yours, um, that it did suggest you might get a little better immune boost. Bottom line is... I don't think we really know the answer to that. If there is a big difference in terms of how well you're protected, correlating with how much of a response you get, it can't be much of a difference because we just haven't seen that in the data. So I would suggest to you that um, you certainly have had, <clears throat> have, excuse me, have had a reaction to the vaccine, and that reaction is due to your immune response. So it's telling us that you're immune response has recognized that vaccine is something like COVID and it's going to jump all over it. So you you have certainly had a good immune response to it. Um, but again, whether that's better than if you didn't get any reaction, we just don't know for sure. Jane, I'm, I'm curious when you uh, have the, those like long reactions, is that after getting one vaccine or do you get like all the jabs you can at one visit? 
No, just the COVID. I I was sort of scared of getting others together with it with it, because mm. my reactions usually has been so strong. You know, Jane, one other idea for you <clears throat> to talk to your doctor about would be when the next uh, round of vaccines is recommended, and that will likely depend upon your age. It could be a year from now or it could be six months from now. You might talk to your doctor about getting Novavax, which is a different vaccine than the mRNA vaccines. It appears to work comp nearly comparably. And there's some data, again, very preliminary, that suggests that people who get more of a reaction to the mRNA vaccines may not get quite as much of a reaction to Novavax. Oh, that's good to know. I'll write it down. Yeah, Wait, up you. till this point, the Novavax shots have rolled out a little bit later than the mRNA ones. So if you've been really on the ball about getting up to date with your shots, um, they just wouldn't have had them available. But uh, if you're in a position to kind of hold on and wait a few more weeks, um, they, they have hit the market and just been a little bit harder to find. Our next caller is also in Berkeley. Uh, Paul is on the line. Good morning, Paul. Hey, hi there. Um, I'm actually going on um, a trip for a few days on Wednesday. I haven't gotten the new vaccine yet, and I'm wondering if it's worth my while to try and uh, you know, rush and get it either today or tomorrow. I've never had a, a you know, any kind of response to it uh, that was negative you know, in the past, but I'm just wondering if it'll have any effect. Um, I'm gonna, most, most likely I'll wear a mask on the plane. Um, and uh, I'm just kind of wondering if it's worth my while to, to get it, you know, is, is it that, that immediately effective if I, if I were to get it today, because I'm concerned about possibly getting it in the next couple of days. How long is your trip for, Paul? Uh, say that again. How long is your trip for? Uh, it's uh, for four days. To the middle. Gotcha, Doctor Schwartzberg. Hi, Paul. <clears throat> Unfortunately, you're not going to like. You're not going to have much of an immune response from the vaccine um, between Wednesday and four days after that. It takes at least a week to see significant rise in your antibodies, and we get our optimal response roughly in about two weeks. So you're going to be in a period of time where the vaccine is not going to offer you protection for this trip you're taking. On the other hand, um, if you get it now, it's going to give you good protection through the rest of the holiday season, which is what you're going to want anyway. So I would not put it off based upon the fact that you're not going to get protection for this trip. I would get it now anyway, especially since you don't get any reaction to it. Uh, get it now, and then you're going to have protection over the December and January holiday. Paul, something else to keep in mind while you're traveling. You said you're going to mask on the airplane. Um, the, the highest risk part of your journey is going to be everything leading up to the airplane. When airplanes are in flight, they have really good air exchange and filtration. When they're on the tarmac, it is stagnant air. And when you are in the airport, you are surrounded by people without any guarantees about the level of air exchange and filtration. So it's uh, all the steps between your home and the plane that are the ones you have to, you, you should worry about even more than, than the flight itself. Um, all right, let's go to our next caller. Leslie is on the line from Martinez. Good morning, Leslie. 
Good morning, and thank you for the program. Um, I have uh, wondering about an update on RSV and questions specifically around um, precautions that public serving organizations should take around RSV. Dr. Schwartzberg. Hi, Leslie. <clears throat> um, RSV right now is uh, in full force. Um, when I say full force, it's a little earlier than we typically see. It's not as bad as it was last year, but we're seeing an awful lot of cases of RSV in California and in Northern California and the Bay Area. So it's, it's around. Um, clearly for people 60 and over, it's a very good um, consideration to get. Uh, I got it. For people younger, um, the data is not compelling, except in infants where it's terribly important. So when you're talking about public-facing organizations, um, there are no mandates for getting the RSV vaccine like there are in some of the Bay Area counties for the, um, excuse me, there are no mandates for the RSV vaccine. But I think from a public perspective, those people vaccinated are far less likely to get RSV, and if they get it, they're going to have much less of an illness. And so it makes sense if you're in a higher risk group. For a, a lower risk group, um, there's just not the data to support that now. Bottom Dr. line... Dr. Schwartzberg, let me, let, let me try to clarify the question with a hypothetical. Um, let's say I were part of a choir group that was putting on a public performance for the holidays. Are there any precautions we might want to require members of our audience and choir to uh, to take that we weren't already taking as COVID precautions? Is there anything different about the route of spread for RSV? Great. Um, thanks for clarifying that, Brian. Um, RSV is going to spread the same way that COVID does, except that RSV lasts much longer and remains infectious on inanimate objects where the virus that causes COVID, it's unclear how important that is. So here with RSV, hand sanitation is much more important. So that's added on to what you would do for COVID. So if you're going to be going to a crowded indoor event, uh, I would certainly have do the things I would do to protect myself against COVID. That is wearing a good mask that fits well, N95, KN95, for example. And even and I am always cautious about uh, good hand hygiene, but I would be even more cautious now in reference to RSV because that's a good way for RSV to spread. So this would be the same as the, the precautions that we were told early in COVID when we thought uh, surface transmission was a big deal, uh, soap and water for 20 seconds, or uh, alcohol-based hand sanitizer that's 70% alcohol or higher? Yes, exactly. Okay. So then for a public-facing organization, uh, maybe make sure that the hand sanitizer is widely distributed <laughs> around the public area, uh, that there are ample opportunities reminding people to wash their hands, uh, and that you've configured the space so people need to touch as few surfaces as possible to move through it? Right. You know, Leslie's question brings up the point in, that you're amplifying, Brian, and that is that we're not just talking about COVID. We're talking about, as you mentioned earlier, Brian, we're talking about a lot of other respiratory viruses and some respiratory bacteria, bacteria that cause respiratory infection. And so it really, if we think of it globally like that, it really requires 
good protection in terms of what we inhale, but it also requires good protection in terms of what we can pick up from our hands and bring to our mouth, nose, or eyes and inoculate the, the pathogen. So it's good hand hygiene and good respiratory protection. Right. And uh, <laughs> don't make people touch any doorknobs. They don't have to. If you can prop a door open, prop it open. Right. Leslie, I hope that is helpful. Um, let's see, Dr. Schwartzberg, we'll grab one more from the inbox before we go. I don't think we have time for another caller. Uh, Pamela wrote in from Sausalito just before the holidays with a lot of questions about long COVID. Um, she was asking, among other things, uh, about the degree to which Paxlovid prevents long COVID. Uh, I was wondering the same thing because the, the cost benefit has just changed. The, the government has stopped being the purchaser, <laughs> the universal purchaser for Paxlovid. Uh, and now that Pfizer has it on the open market, it is $1,400 for a round of medication, uh, which is going to make people without health insurance not want it. Uh, and a lot of insurers be much more restrictive about how they're prescribing it. Uh, how worthwhile is it from a long COVID perspective? Well, there is good data to suggest that Paxlovid, if taken early in the course of COVID, does reduce substantially the risk of long COVID. What do, what do I mean by substantially? Probably at least by about 20 to 25% and maybe more. So from that perspective alone, taking Paxlovid makes sense. From the cost effectiveness, that's another story. But the problem is when you're doing that calculus, we really don't know how often you're and what the risk to you is going to be for long COVID. <clears throat> and you really don't know when you come down with COVID what that risk is going to be for you. So we have a, sort of an unknown in that respect. So I would clearly favor getting Paxlovid if you have COVID, and particularly if you're at risk for developing long COVID. Those are people who get more serious COVID. Older people are more likely to, and there are a variety of other groups that are more at risk. All right. I think that'll do it for this week. Dr. Schwartzberg, thank you so much for spending another Monday morning with us. You're welcome. Thank you, Brian. All right, that does it for this week's edition of Corona Calls. If you want to send in a question for next week's, you can email coronacalls at kpfa.org. Or tune in live to Call In Live. Usually we air Monday mornings right after 7.30 news headlines on KPFA 94.1 FM in the Bay Area or kpfa.org anywhere in the world. We put a little bit of extra work into repackaging this live segment as a podcast because it feels like the information is useful to a lot of people. And we ought to make it accessible through as many channels as possible. You can help us get the word out by rating and reviewing it in whatever app you're using to listen. And if you want to pitch in some cash, we wouldn't say no. We always take donations at kpfa.org. appreciate it if you mentioned Corona Calls when you make your pledge. My name is Brian Edwards-Tiegert. I hope you have a great week. Stay well. We'll talk to you next time.